Well, thank you, and good evening, or actually good afternoon. We are now starting our live stream. Um, this afternoon, I want to address uh, a couple items that have come about since last week when we were all speaking. Uh, they include uh, two orders, one from the governor of the state of Florida, um, as well as a Broward emergency, um, and a few other matters interrelated with all that. So first, first and foremost, I thank you so much for uh, viewing this. Um, as I have asked again and again, please subscribe to the channel. Please press on the upper right-hand corner bell to get notices of when uh, we go live so that you are able to uh, be advised of that if you choose to uh, watch our feeds. And again, I thank you so much for taking your time to do so. So first and foremost, I want to talk about the governor's order. And this order is very important because there's a lot of debate on how it's being applied and how we're going to be addressing this now and in the next 45 days, which of course there is a possibility that that order could be extended beyond that. So the governor on, uh, I want to be clear here, April 2nd, issued executive order number 20-94. And the provisions in the order that are very uh, um, important is where he finds that providing targeted temporary relief to Floridians with self-family, uh, with single-family mortgages is in the best interest of the state and its people. And he finds that this emergency has impacted that. Well, that's, that's very important because the moment you find that the, uh, that this has impacted people, it gives him, of course, the opportunity to use his emergency powers to take action. So the governor went ahead and uh, issued an order where he suspends and tolls any statute providing for a mortgage foreclosure, and we'll get into this in a little bit, for a mortgage foreclosure cause of action under Florida law for 45 days from the date of this executive order, including any extensions. We'll address that as well. He also suspends and tolls any statute providing for an eviction cause of action under Florida law as it relates to non-payment of rent by residential tenants due to COVID-19 uh, for 45 days from the date of this executive order, including any extensions. So let's first talk about tenants. Very important. Um, those of you who, uh, and hopefully most of you are my clients and uh, deal with these issues with me, you know very well that our office likes to use, especially where, where it's an out-of-residence um, owner who has tenants in their unit, we like to use the failure of the owner to pay to use the statutory right that we have, both under 718, 720, and of course 719, to go ahead and either have that tenant pay the assessments through their rental payments. So in other words, whatever rental payment that is, as, as up and until it covers the rent uh, that, he, that that tenant pays the owner, which then entails our assessments for the associations, that tenant would have to make those payments directly to um, our office on behalf of the owner, if you will, that we then give to the associations. So since that is a payment, I believe that in the end, the governor and the courts will see that as collecting rent. That's different from a holdover tenant who's not paying rent 
And it's not an issue of payment, it's an issue of breach. And I also believe it's a difference when there's an enforcement action by the association to go ahead and remove a non-conforming tenant for reasons other than, of course, if it's not our tenant, and we've advocated in the past for associations to take title to properties, and as a result of taking those titles to then be able to um, uh, go ahead and rent them out and make money for the associations pending a foreclosure action by a bank or what have you uh, with regards to those properties. Hopefully we won't get back to that again. Uh, we do that very sparingly at this point. That was really more uh, during the last recession. Having said that, if you have a tenant that is violating your documents, notwithstanding whether they're paying or not paying their owner, which is the member of the association, you have a right, I believe, under this order to still take actions against that owner and tenant to have that tenant removed for violation of your documents. Very clear to me, at least until said otherwise by a court of law. And that's where this issue on the mortgage comes into effect. Let me tell you how that's been interpreted. So, under Florida law, associations have a right, as you all know, uh, to foreclose on members who don't pay their assessments. So, uh, and this is uh, uh, sections both uh, um, 718 and 720 provide under their statutes that an association may bring an action in its name to foreclose a lien for unpaid assessments secured by a lien in the same manner that a mortgage of real property is foreclosed and may bring an action for money judgments, so forth. Don't worry about that part. Uh, same language is found in 718 as it is in 720, which I just read to you. What does that mean? What that means is, so far, we've been reported, it's been reported to us on uh, that blog that a lot of the uh, so, uh, practitioners who practice in this area of the law watch and review uh, that on the west coast of the state, a judge did put a hold on a foreclosure action for an association for 45 days under this order. The judge didn't cite to that section, and I, I would imagine that most judges aren't aware that the provisions of the statute say in the same manner as a mortgage foreclosure. I think that's just procedurally. It doesn't mean that the governor intended his order to say in the same manner as uh, other uh, assessments may be foreclosed on in the future. I think the governor was very clear that it's only as to mortgages. Um, however, there was a judge on the West Coast uh, who, to a fellow practitioner, said that he would not enter an order to foreclose on that unit as a result of this order from the governor, even though they're two separate things. So the question becomes, what do you do now about that? Um, until separately done, I will go ahead and foreclose on any uh, unit that the association is telling me we're moving forward on, other than if a request for some type of accommodation, some type of payment plan has been made. And that's very important um, because, you know, I, I, I want to ensure that we proceed diligently on behalf of the associations in such a way that you are not put in uh, to a backseat on being funded by your members. As many of you may or may not recall, my last video we did talk about what we can do uh, with respect to people who are not paying and how to collect it and how to go about it. Um, 
I have drafted for one client uh, specific to them uh, with regards to how this uh, it should be brought about a letter to disperse to its or to uh, give out to its members. And basically what the letter said is, look, the board will treat any and all applications for some type of accommodation as confidential right now. Um, members are entitled to know who is paying and who's not paying. There, there's no question about that. Uh, you think about yourselves as a large corporation of shareholders, and every shareholder has the right to know what the health is of the community, and I'm talking fiscal health now as well. Um, and I'll get into the HIPAA issues in a second with regards to uh, uh, the virus. But I, I, I want to be clear that um, um, owners are entitled to know who's paying and who's not paying. So to that end, what we want to make sure is that we look at applications to either reduce the payment, to address the payment in a different way, um, to forbear the payment for a, a short period of time, we need to do that in such a manner that's fiscally healthy for the community. So how do we do that? I have laid out a whole bunch of guidelines to do so here in my uh, letter that I wrote for this one community based on their request. But among other things, I do point out to the, to the uh, fact that one, Anybody, whether it's during this horrific crisis that we have now or during good times, but some people have obviously uh, issues that they have that come up from time to time, whether it be health or employment with the type of job that they're doing that become unavailable. So anybody requesting some type of forbearance needs to do the following. They need to tell you why. Why means I'm employed, I'm not employed. I'm employed, but my, uh, my reduction, uh, my salary has been reduced. My hourly wages have been reduced. I'm employed. Nothing's happened. But now I have a family member who's ill and whose medical bills are not covered by insurance or only partially covered, and I need to take care of that. So all those issues have to be addressed in writing by an owner or owners who are requesting this forbearance. In essence, if you think about the forbearance request, in the end, who pays for it? the rest of the members of the community who are continuing to pay on a timely basis. So if they're made to take up the proverbial slack in payments pending this one or two or more owners who need some type of short-term accommodation, then the board has a right to know why that is and how it supports that. So to that end, none of this information is improper. Uh, if you'll recall, and some of you may or may not know, if I came to my association and I said, listen, uh, my association doesn't allow dogs, let's say. And, they, and I said, look, I want a dog. I need an emotional support animal. The association has a right within means and limits um, to ask me to substantiate why I need that, that support animal. Okay, So that support animal needs to have something to the effect of backing support that I can show how, why, uh, and what justification. And the board gets that information. Usually it's in the term of a, of a letter, a prescription, something. That goes into that owner's file, and that becomes confidential. People can't have to have the right to look at it. So I want to be clear that nothing is wrong in taking that same, um, if you will, modus operandi with regards to support animals, as an example, and shifting it over to assessments. And that's why I want to be able to uh, 
put and give boards the opportunity to ask these members who are asking for an accommodation, hey, here's the accommodation I'm asking for, here's the reason, here's what substantiates my claim, here's the basis for my claim. And then the board can make a decision how long, how much, uh, what, if anything, will or will not be waived. Um, there are discussions about the waiving of assessments with respect to late charges and interest and how you can do that to some but not others. Um, I believe that there has to be some accommodation to that to help people, but on the other hand, you can't both tell somebody you don't have to pay for a number of months while everybody else does, and when you do pay, there won't be a late charge or interest when for everyone else there would be. I think you're selectively enforcing at that point and creating two classes of members. Those members who are in financial turmoil and have requested and have been approved for a, uh, um, an accommodation, and those members who haven't because they're not in one, yet they didn't pay, they forgot to pay, or something else happened. So you need to treat them equally. I, I think the best policy would be to establish a baseline of uh, forbearance of whatever months that's going to be, and then after that baseline of forbearance, to go ahead and then say, you still have to pay your late charges, you still have to pay your interest on that money, but we're going to wait to take it two, three months outside of the normal payment arrangement or payment uh, obligation. All right? So that's really the issues right now with foreclosures and tenant evictions. Um, this is more... Uh, attuned to Broward County. I've done this for Palm Beach. I've done it for Miami. As you know, we are fortunate enough and, and, and uh, appreciative enough that we have clients all over the state um, or many areas of the state. So let me tell you what Broward County has issued its order. Uh, and its order was issued on April 3rd at 2.30 p.m. Of interest in this order, because there are, and I do have associations that have said to me, listen, guy, our pool, uh, some of our, our common areas that we use or common element areas that we use, uh, we're practicing social distancing. We're ensuring that people, uh, less than 10 people, uh, congregate there at any one time. Uh, we have to keep them open because this is what the people rely on. This is what the people look for. Um, no longer. The order, Section 2, says all pools, pool decks, party rooms, hot tubs, golf courses, tennis courts, basketball courts, fitness centers, gymnasiums, and community rooms collectively referred to as recreational amenities, whether of a commercial or non-commercial nature, are closed for all purposes except as expressly excluded by this section. This section does not apply to recreational amenities that are required for the conduct of an essential service as defined in the governor's order. Those are usually going to be uh, and this is the order, if you want to look it up, 20-91 as amended, uh, or located on a single-family residential lot, a single townhouse unit, or any part of a duplex, so long as the recreational amenity is utilized only by the inhabitants of that lot or unit. So what they're basically saying is these community pools that many HOAs, as well as m most condos or co-ops have, um, are no longer... Uh, on limit for use of the membership. You have to now close those up, even the pools. Um, obviously, my own private pool at my house, other homes, townhouses, duplexes, who have either hot tubs or pools that service just their unit are allowed. 
So what's the ramification of this? Well, I know one of my communities that uses their pool and continues to use it says, look, this is all our people have to live for. We have nowhere else to go. This is where they can exercise. They go on a limited basis, and we conduct a, uh, we, we mandate the 10 and under limitation. What I've said to you before about the 10 and under uh, limitation for social distancing is then you get into the potential, and they claim that in this one association that this doesn't happen, but you get into the potential where people are sitting there going, okay, is it my turn yet? I've been here for 15 minutes waiting and nobody's leaving. How long do you get to use the facility? If you comply with now what has come about from Broward County, then all of it's going to be closed and no longer going to be used, and it's, an, it's, it's a moot issue. If you believe, and this is, by the way, to incorporate it in unincorporated areas of Broward County, if you believe that this is now mandated and that you are going to do it, wonderful. If you think that it shouldn't apply to you or you need to use it in a different fashion other than what has been mandated, then all I can tell you is this. You need to take and, and ensure that people are abiding by that social distancing. You need to make sure that if anybody is visibly ill or, or, or exhibiting the COVID-19 um, uh, you know, coughing, sneezes, symptoms, that they are uh, removed from that area and quarantined. A um, couple more things administratively. This is really to associations who have pending legal matters, either with us or other offices, firms. No defaults can be entered by the clerk at this time uh, unless it's submitted by motion to the presiding judge in ex exigent circumstances which may warrant judicial relief. Uh, so very, very difficult uh, um, to, to come about and to get that that done in such a manner at this point in time. Um, one thing about the order issued by the governor with regards to these foreclosures is 90 dash, uh, pardon me, 20 94 specifically says that nothing in this executive order shall con be construed as relieving an individual from their obligation to make mortgage payments or rent payments. I think it would be safe to assume that nothing contained in that executive order is to be construed as a free pass, and if you are then going to extrapolate that into issues with regards to uh, assessment foreclosures, then I think that bolsters further my position that late fees and interest would still be collectible and should be collected. An owner should know that in addition you will be paying that. Right now this is a 45-day um, this is a 45-day moratorium, uh, no longer than that, unless it is extended by the governor at some point in time. Um, again, it doesn't apply to tenants who are holdovers, who are violating the documents, who for other reasons should be removed from the property. Let's talk about that enforcement issue right now. Uh, there's been examples around Florida, thankfully not yet here in South Florida, even though I think there might be one with regards to Miami, where uh, associations are saying to their owners, you got to clean your driveway. If not, we're going to sue you or you're going to have to go to mandatory mediation for an HOA type uh, manner or in a condo. You know, you've got to do this, this or that with regards to your property. I'm not saying not to enforce. In fact, I'm saying you have to enforce. You can't allow the members to get into a feeling or a position where 
you know, everything is out the window. I'm not paying. I'm not maintaining my property. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. What I do advocate and what I do suggest, and again, this can come with discussions among the board, board with its management company, with its council, is to ensure that you weigh what type of matters you do want to enforce as opposed to those that you don't think should be enforced at this time and can wait. It doesn't mean you don't send a letter. Send a letter, say, look, uh, John Doe, uh, your driveway has oil stains, is dirty, is really in a state of disrepair. We understand right now it's a very difficult time in many of our residents' lives. Um, if you can get it done now, we would appreciate it. If not, please let us know within 30, 45 days when you intend to do so, uh, so we can get a handle uh, on what you're going to do and when, uh, so we can you know, maintain the good, clean, uh, nice look of our, our community. So that's definitely a way to address this, definitely a way to do this with your members. All right, let me take a few questions. Uh, local and national state insurance are homeowners for any government stimulates financial assistance if needed. Great question, great question. Y not yet. We have been uh, pushing that around. Uh, some saying insurance may cover it, but insurance for associations are not going to cover lack of payment. Uh, so it's, it's what's called interruption insurance, business interruption. Uh, right now, insurance companies are saying that doesn't even um, cover businesses who have business interruption insurance because their belief is that those uh, are not, pandemics are not covered under that. Certainly, associations don't have that type of insurance uh, under their policies. Whether the state will or will not, pardon me, whether the federal government will or will not cover and give monies, uh, right now there's no talk of that. And nothing in the bills that we've looked at and those that have been passed, including the stimulus, would do that. Uh, the way the stimulus works right now is if you're a business, you show what you pay on average per month for your employees. As long as you continue to pay those employees, don't fire them, don't release, release the pay, the government will give you three months of pay to help you during what they perceive to be this shutdown period. So the question is, obviously... Uh, what businesses can continue to do this. I imagine restaurants can't, uh, stores can't. There's a lot of different um, uh, businesses out there who would, no, would not benefit from that. So depending on who lives in your neighborhood and how they're employed, it's going to affect that from them. Um, let's see here. How do we as HOA respond to a resident who claims that the community amenities are not available? So, what, so, what, should, so why should I pay? You know, that's a great question. And that's something that we have talked about in, in other associations for so long. So I live at an association and there's a community pool. Well, I don't like to swim. But when I bought into that pool, into that community, I knew that there's a pool there. I knew that's part of my assessments. Same thing for a tennis court or a basketball court. In my community, we have a, a little park. There's a, two tennis courts and a basketball court. I don't ever use the basketball court, or rarely. I sometimes use the tennis court, and there's a tot lot, and all my kids uh, uh, are now in their teens and, and even early 20s. So none of my kids use the tot lot, yet we special assess the members uh, a few months ago to repair the tot lot uh, in the tune of six... $7,000. So it doesn't matter whether you use it or don't use it. If it's an amenity of the association, 
It's an obligation of the association under your documents and statutes, frankly, to pay for that whether you get to use it or not. So when you tell the owners, you say, look, you may not be able to use it right now because there's an order by the governor as well as our county administrators limiting that. That doesn't exclude you from or give you right to not pay that assessment. That is a common expense of this community because when this gets lifted, and it will get lifted, and we will all get better, and vaccines and treatments will be there eventually. I know they're working at them uh, at a at a heartbreaking, heart-bracing rate to get this. Um, you don't want those pools, those tennis courts, those basketball courts, the landscaping to be dilapidated and cost even more money in the long run to bring back to use ability than it is now to maintain it. Uh, do we have to allow new people to move in if a stay is in place and don't know where they are coming from? Great question. Terrific question. So I have said before, guess is a no. You do not have to allow guests to come into your community at this time. There's a shelter and order place for the entire state. That means we're not having people come in to visit, so on and so forth. Exceptions can be made, and let me give you an example. I have an association right now that I'm worked on a uh, agreement with an owner who has to care for his uh, mother uh, as a result of her not having somewhere to go uh, because another family member is sick. Um, unfortunately, the mother is also tested positive, even though she doesn't exhibit uh, symptoms of COVID-19. She's positive. The agreement is in writing, and it basically, and I won't go through the whole thing, but it basically obligates this owner and his mother to self-quarantine now for 14 days once the uh, symptoms are gone and to get a clean bill of health. Um, she supposedly doesn't have the symptoms right now, so your 14 days would start to run the moment she comes back and she moves into this unit. I don't consider this a guest, and neither do did my board, uh, which really uh, uh, is a testament to them as to how they look at these things. That's not a guest. A guest is a boyfriend, girlfriend, a friend, you know, a family member who decides they want to reside with you, not with themselves at their own unit. That's not the owners. That's not the residents of that unit. If there's exigent circumstances, you need to look at them. You need to discuss them either with among your board, board and your management company, and board and your council and make a determination. Um, so now, somebody comes in new and you want to know, what do I do with them? They're moving in. Well, a couple things first. No requirement for an uh, in-person interview with that person. Uh, you can do it via uh, video like I'm doing now. This is obviously YouTube. But what I'm talking about is doing it through Teams, through Skype, uh, through Zoom, FaceTime, whatever it may be. You do not have to be in person. What you can do uh, is you can mandate that any, and, and I'd pass this as a policy and procedure of the association, you can mandate that any new owner coming to the community must self-quarantine for 14 days. Okay, It's a pain, but with a shelter at stay-home order, the only difference is that they can't go out to the stores for 14 days, Publix, Walmart, Target, whatever it may be. The good news, Costco, Sam's, the BJ's, the good news is Instacart, for the most part, Uber Eats, all those other programs, for the most part, can care for all those goods. Um, you can get food delivered, both to eat immediately from restaurants that are still operating, as well as grocery stores, Costco, Sam's. I don't know about Target and Walmart. 
I haven't dealt with that aspect of it yet, but I'm sure there's there's all kinds of, uh, of services that can happen. And what you should tell these people is, look, as the association, we'll help facilitate that, not pay for it, but we'll help facilitate that. We'll make sure that you can bring these items uh, to your unit. We'll, we'll help direct whatever service provider so you don't have to come out of your unit and say, hey, over here, this is where I live, come over here. We'll help with that, with our management uh, staff and so forth, okay? So uh, I see no problems with that. And I, I think in order to do this, again, similar to what I did for this one association in writing up this agreement, uh, I think this should be something that is now part of any application for residency or, uh, or, or screening process. You understand and acknowledge, have them sign off to it. I can help you draft something that basically says, we understand that since we're coming new into this community, uh, and we have not been tested and can't prove that we've been tested in the last few days that we want to, we will agree to abide by the self-quarantine. The only exception to that is for a medical emergency, obviously your doctor or a hospital. We have closed the pools. Can we leave the rest areas adjoining the pools open for walkers or unit owners to rest as long as they follow social distancing and under 10 people? Um, I see no problems not do, uh, doing that. Um, when I think about a rest area, I'm thinking about areas uh, along my community that may have a little bench, uh, somewhere to sit uh, or to you know sit on the grass, not a designated room, enclosed facility, basketball court, tennis court, somewhere where people are congregating. So as long as they uh, do that, uh, the, the 10 people limit and do social distancing, then absolutely, I, I have no problems with you uh, allowing people to do that. And I, I commend you for closing the pool. It, it certainly is, uh, you know, a pain in the rear end for many people who see that as a form of exercise, a form of getting out of their homes, who are diligently following the shelter and residence uh, stay-at-home orders by the governor, by the local counties. So definitely very difficult for people, but great that you're doing it and, uh, and really terrific uh, that you're allowing people areas to walk in and exercise. I know in my community, uh, I've never seen so many people ride their bikes, uh, walk, uh, and everybody's uh, complying with the social distancing and keeping apart from one another. Um, let me give you one idea that uh, I am now instituting uh, as part of uh, you know, my care when going out into the public. Um, I am using, and I have a lot of these, these are called buffs. Uh, there's many brands that do this. They're available on Amazon anywhere from $16 uh, to 25 and up dollars. Uh, no, I'm not selling them. Uh, I'd like to have some made with my uh, firm's logo on it, but until such time. And the way this works is it has many different me uh, ways in which you can wear it. But the way I'm wearing it now, uh, especially at any point in time when I go out to a Publix or a Walmart or a Target uh, or you know, somebody comes into my office, and yes, we are still trying our darndest to keep our office open uh, to service our clients as best as we can, uh, but we do have people bringing checks for associations that are hand-delivering them. Uh, we do have people who are coming in, new clients, old clients. So we do uh, uh, limit no more than 10 people in the entire office, and our office is rather large, and we are keeping ourselves very distanced, closing rooms off to one another. But what you do with this is that you have it around your neck and then you can bring it up as far as you can 
to cover your nose, to cover your mouth, even your ears. It's thin, and and you know, no, uh, the um, the website does not say that it is COVID nineteen protection. It doesn't say that it isn't, but it won't guarantee that it is. Obviously, it's a lot less uh, thick than the N95 um, masks are, and those are the utmost of protection. I'm not advocating that this is going to help or prevent. I'm using it for my own protection. I've consulted with some people who've given me advice to do so, but in no way can I assure you that it would protect you. It's just one more layer, one more way to try to avoid uh, or filter out the air that comes at you potentially with the, with the wet capsules or the wet molecules from somebody who may be ill or may be asymptomatic, but spitting or coughing or sneezing the particles near you. So with that, if there are no more questions, um, I try not to exceed 30 minutes. I try to go under 30 minutes. I really appreciate everybody uh, uh, being on this. Uh, you're always welcome to contact me and ask other questions. Uh, happy to um, work on any other um, documents that you may need uh, that are consistent to what we spoke of today, which would assist you with working with new people coming in, people who are there. Oh, let me take a, I, I didn't, I, I wrote down a note here and I try to remember it throughout the podcast, HIPAA laws, okay? So there's a misconception out there and, and they're differing opinions, but there's a misconception out there that associations have to be, uh, have to comply with HIPAA laws and cannot disclose whether an owner, member, guest, or invitee of that owner, member, uh, are have tested positive or actually exhibit the COVID-19 um, symptoms. I believe that notwithstanding any of those arguments, and I don't think that associations are bound by the HIPAA requirements, I don't believe that anybody exhibiting that is uh, should not be told or should not be disclosed to the members under the health, welfare, and safety, under the powers under 718.1265, and under the 720 powers, that this is a life, this potentially is a life and death issue. So how do I think we should approach this as a community, as an association? Um, one of the things that I wrote into this agreement that I'm working on right now is that although the board and this person acknowledge that there is no right to privacy with regards to whether you do or don't have the virus, as long as you agree to self-quarantine and don't breach that agreement, there's no need for the community to know a specific unit, specific person, okay? So in other words, association knows Guy Shear living at 111 Mur Murberry Lane has the virus. Guy has agreed not to leave his unit and to self-quarantine for 14 days. Association has agreed then there's no need to advise anybody of Guy condition because he's not leaving and putting others in um, in harm's way. However, <clears throat> Guy agrees, as does the association will impose, that if Guy breaches the agreement, the association will go and advertise to the membership, hey, please be careful because at 111 Murberry uh, Lane, Guy is uh, has tested positive or exhibits symptoms of the COVID-19 virus and is refusing to self-quarantine for 14 days as the CDC has required. So we are advising you to take heed and not contact him or come in contact with him. I think that's not only, not only proper, 
it is mandated if you know it. Because on the other hand, in this so, such litigious world, if the association knows and knows that guy's violating it and guy goes out and exposes others and doesn't tell people, I think then associations could be held responsible. I don't think associations could be held responsible for giving that information when there's a violation. Now, can you be held responsible because you gave the, the information and guy self-quarantined? Again, I don't believe so. I don't believe associations are HIPAA um, under the HIPAA requirements. It's not necessary. Um, if I'm working with you as an owner and I'm doing this, oh, I got a new question. I'll get it in a second. And I'm getting, uh, and I'm working with you and I'm a new owner. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm an owner and I'm working with you and complying. Then why go through the, why embarrass me? Why put any stigma on top of me that this is an issue? So gotta, again, this is the balancing thing. This is the, hey, you can't have a car that's not, uh, that tag is expired, that's leaking oil all over the place on the association's property. On the other hand, do you have to clean your driveway right now or can it wait a month or two? Balance. Balance. And if you're not sure and you don't know, go on the side of caution or call me or call your management company. Discuss it. Get a plan in order on what you will and won't enforce. So we've got a new question. In our condo, a renter, father and son, 55 and 85, according to the application, moved in two weeks ago. We found out after that the son's wife moved in as well. How do we get rid of her? Right. So, uh, uh, you know, there are people that you can hire. Usually they're found in dark alleys. No, no, I'm kidding. So it's a problem. You know, if the application says son and father, uh, and that's it, those two people, then the question to the son is, why didn't you disclose that your wife is moving in? And is she really your wife, by the way? Why wouldn't she have been on the application? It's a violation of the application. Um, Got to look at your documents a little more specific to this, but I would probably start off with sending a letter that says, this is a violation of the provision. Hopefully you do have a specific provision or at least of the application itself. And as a result of that, uh, we want this person removed or if you don't want to have to go through the removal process and the litigation that potentially can come out of that and you know, again, I don't know all the facts and circumstances and how you would or would not prevail, at least say we want a um, two things. We want three things. We want an application. We want a background check because maybe that's really the issue. They didn't want her to go through a background check. And we want the entire uh, unit, all three of you, to um, self-quarantine for 14 days. Since you're coming from outside, uh, we've been uh, sheltering at home here. And we want you to comply with the 14-day requirement because we don't know where you're coming from and who you've been exposed to. And I think that's absolutely a great compromise and something that would help the health, welfare, and safety of the community. So I thank you all so much. Again, it's a pleasure to be able to do this. And I, I thank you all for watching. Uh, please subscribe to the channel. It helps us out, gives us a base. Uh, so YouTube gives us services to be able to present this to you. Also ring the bell or click on the bell and then you'll know immediately if you don't see the email in time, it'll pop up on your iPhone, Android phone, uh, computer at home. So you know that I'm broadcasting and you can always watch this either on our YouTube channel at a later date and time or on shearlawgroup.com forward slash media. Thank you. Be safe. Don't hesitate to contact us and let us know if we can help. 
All the best, everybody. And, uh, you know, I'm sure all of us will get through this and uh, we'll all come out a, a better country, a better community, and better people from it. Thank you.